Yeah. Good morning. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. Uh, we're excited. We've been in this series called Outrageous Love for the past few weeks. Uh, we've been getting great feedback about how it's challenging people. And uh, one of the big challenges in this message series is we want to encourage the church to actually go out and obey the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And so one of the ways that we've been encouraging you guys to do so is to pick up a love project, engage or participate in some kind of love project, whether it's with your life group or your family, a spouse, significant other, maybe it's on your own, but let's intentionally look for projects or ways that we can love with the love of Christ. So just show of hands, it's been about three weeks, this is our fourth week on this, but how many of you guys already have a good idea of the love project that you or your group is going to take part in? Anybody? Okay, good. few hands, maybe about a third or a quarter of us. Uh, you know, that's good. I pray that you guys would follow through on that. And for everybody else, we still got a few more weeks. But even beyond the series, we want to intentionally engage uh, in the community and in the world. And so with today's message, I want to give you just another thing to consider as we think about outrageous love and what that love looks like. Um, I'm not a runner. As you know, a lot of our pastors like to run. I don't run. I uh, just don't like it. And uh, once in a while, though, I, I, I do enjoy a race with my friends. Um, many years ago, a group of friends, we got together and we formed a team and we decided to run the Del Mar ROC. It's called the Ridiculous Obstacle Course Run. And so we decided to do it in our prom attire. So this is a picture that they caught of me running through the, the, the mud in my full prom suit. Um, all of us dressed up. That was fun. And so we, we started talking, some of Monica's cousins and her, her side of the family, we were talking about, let's do a race together. Let's do an obstacle course. And so we were throwing ideas out. And, and one cousin suggests that we should do the Tough Mudder. Now, how many people know what the Tough Mudder is? How many people have heard of the Tough Mudder? A lot of you guys have heard of it. Well, the Tough Mudder, if you don't know, is one of our nation's toughest challenges in terms of obstacle courses and mud. It's up there with the Spartan race. It's a 10 to 12 mile race that takes about three to four hours to complete if you complete it. it there's about 20 or 25 obstacle challenges that you have to conquer. And a lot of these challenges will cause you to face some of humanity's greatest fears. For example, if you don't like cold water, they have a thing for you called the funky monkey. This is the funky monkey. And they're monkey bars. Sometimes they're rotating wheels. Uh, but you got to swing across. The only thing is these bars, they say, are extremely slippery as if they've been coated with lubricant or grease or melted butter. But they say most people do not make it across. And if you fall, you fall into freezing cold water below. That's the funky monkey. Now, if you make it across, which most people won't, but if you do and don't fall in the cold water, don't worry because they have this thing called the Arctic enema. And this is a pool of literally ice water that you will have to slide into and you will have to make your way across. And at some points, you have to literally submerge yourself under the ice water to swim under these wooden beams. And they say it will make your lungs feel like they will literally burst out of your chest. It is that cold. Some of you guys don't like the cold, and some of you guys don't like, um, you, you don't like small spaces. Maybe you're claustrophobic. Perfect, because they have the cage crawler for you. The cage crawler is this pool of dirty, cold, muddy water where you have to crawl to the other side of the pool, holding onto this cage. And the thing is, this cage is only a few inches above the water. 
So on the website it says you're constantly in danger of swallowing this dirty cold water and sometimes you have the sensation of being waterboarded as you're trying to make your way across. Some of you guys don't like fire. Perfect. They got the firewalker for you. The firewalker is this field of flames going up head high. And as you're trying not to get burned, you're also having smoke uh, that you're inhaling and, and, and uh, affecting your vision as it's getting into your eyes. But once you make it across, some of you guys don't like to get shocked. I hate getting shocked. Well, they got the thing called the electric eel for you. Uh, this is where you're crawling through a swamp of muddy water, and you see wood beams with a bunch of electric wires hanging from it. And according to their website, they says when your head hits the wire, not if your head hits the wire, but when your head hits these wires, you will get electric shock throughout your whole body, which is only amplified by the fact that you are crawling in water. But they said, don't worry, unless you have a pacemaker, you probably won't die. So that's, that's comforting to know. And so, so when this cousin says we should do the Tough Mudder, and I find out what the Tough Mudder is, I'm like, um, no. Like, I am not doing the Tough Mudder. I was thinking more like the Turkey Trot 5K, where we uh, run around Sam's Club on paved concrete. I'm a dad of three kids. I got dad bod going on. I am not doing the Tough Mudder. Some of us are like me. When you hear about these challenges, immediately you've decided, I would never do that, right? That, that's just too, too much for me. That's a challenge that, that that's for some people, but that's not for me. And I, I share this with you because the, the passage we're going to study today comes from Luke chapter 6, and I believe this passage is the tough mutter of Christian ethics. Like, th- this is one of the hardest challenges that we find in scripture because of the obstacles involved. It's about loving the unlovable. I'm calling this message today, I'm calling it tough love. We're called to be tough lovers, not the kind of people who love on people and come down hard on people because we're tough on them, but I'm, I'm talking about the kind of love that's tough to show because there's some people who are just so difficult to love. It's so hard to love some people in our lives, the unlovable. So today in Luke 6, I want to show you two people who are tough to love, and then I'm going to show you two practices that are going to help us show this kind of tough love. Okay, so before we open the Bible, would you guys bow and let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to speak. Father God, we pray that you would come and just be here, Lord, that your spirit would just really open up our hearts and really soften them. God, I pray that you would really be active and that you would be bringing to mind people in our lives, Lord, people maybe this morning we've encountered or this past week, but Lord, people who really need to be shown love from me, from us. God, put those people in our hearts and then speak to us, God. This is one of the toughest messages that we receive from your word, and so I pray that you would help us through it, Lord. Help us through this challenge. And God, help us to conquer uh, in, in your strength, in your power. God, as we pray this morning, I also pray for the 20 uh, brothers and sisters who are at Engage Global right now, uh, learning how to actually go out into the world in love. I pray for the 11 who are on their way back from Uganda. Lord, continue to protect them on their journey. I pray for the two, Cheryl and Laura, who just arrived in Uganda, who are going out to show outrageous love to people in Uganda. Would you be with them? And Lord, thank you. Thank you that this is a church that, 
that's serious about living out your word. And just help us now to do so more and more. So Lord, this morning we give you our hearts and our minds. Pray that nothing that happens today from this stage would be successful unless it's because it comes from you. So bless your word. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. We all say amen. 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 So we're in Luke chapter 6. If you, if you have your notes with you, maybe your app or in the Baywatch that you picked up coming in, write this down. Here's the first unlovable person we learned about. It's the one who doesn't deserve your love. That person who doesn't deserve your love. Now think about this. I really want you to think specifically. Is there anybody in your life that just does not deserve love from you? Many years back, we, we were with a group of uh, church friends, uh, part of my college and young adult group at the time. And we were going to watch a movie uh, late one evening on the weekend. And uh, before going to the movie, I had to stop to draw out some cash. Um, but all the businesses were closed. It was late in the evening. And so I was going to go to an ATM machine and just draw out some money. And so I pull into this uh, parking lot, not a lot of cars because the businesses were closed, and they had an outdoor ATM. And so I pull up to the curb uh, right in front of the outdoor ATM, and I was just going to run out really quick to draw out some money. And as I get out of the car, what I didn't realize when I first pulled up was that adjacent to me was a patrol car. Now, I don't know if it was security or a parking patrol officer, uh, but, but I get out and I'm like in this weird position. What do I do? Do I jump back in my car and look suspicious or do I just play cool? And so I play cool. I continue to get out of my car and I actually go up to the officer and I say, hey, I just need to draw out money really quick. I'm not even going to shut off my engine. Is it okay if I park here? He, goes, he says, yeah, you can park there. I said, cool, man, this guy's really cool. So I, I leave my car there, my engine's running, I go to the ATM machine, you know, put in my card, draw out my money, get my receipt, and after I finish getting what I need to get, I'm walking back to my car just in time for the officer to finish writing me a parking ticket. And I'm like, oh, 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 oh wait, 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 wait. I asked you if I could park here. I even asked you, and you said I could. And he goes, oh, you could park anywhere you want doesn't mean it's legal. Here's your ticket. And I was like, are you, I wanted to karate chop this guy so hard. Thank God I don't know karate because it would have been ugly. But that night, I, I rejoined my friends and we go watch this movie and I could not watch the movie. I mean, I have all these thoughts going on in my head and I'm telling you, I'm not thinking of how I can bless this guy and love on him. I'm thinking, how do I pop his tires when he's not looking? Like, I'm literally thinking of ways to retaliate. How am I going to get his name off of this ticket so I can report it to the supervisor to get him fired? How can I find his phone number so I can prank call him all day and, and make his life miserable? And, you know, I'm thinking of ways to make this guy's life miserable. And I wish I could say this is when, this is before I was a Christian. But this is actually when I was preaching the word of God and going to seminary and helping the flock love Jesus. Are there any people in your life who you come face to face with or you have to encounter on a regular basis and you, you just think they do not deserve my love? They don't deserve my love. Here's what Jesus has to say about that. He says in Luke chapter 6, if you would look at this with me, we're going to look at verse 27. But here's what he says. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies do good to those who hate you. Are you serious, Jesus? 
Are you serious? He goes on. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Okay, that's going too far, Jesus. Well, he keeps going. He says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Jesus, that's just outrageous now. That's outrageous. He goes on, verse 30. Give to everyone who begs from you, and the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so unto them. That is the tough mutter of Christian behavior. That's a race that most people don't want to run. Right, that's the challenge that a lot of us, we read this and we've decided in our minds, that's way too difficult for me. I'm not even going to attempt that. I'm not going to try that. that. That's above me. And yet Christ calls us to be tough lovers. Right? He calls us to this outrageous kind of love. And a lot of people will look at this passage and you see that first phrase. And so a lot of people make it about loving your enemies. We have to love our enemies. And yet a careful reading of it, it's not just limited to your enemies because he also talks about loving those who hate you and those who will curse you, those who will abuse you, in other words, mistreat you, those who ask of you, those who beg from you. And so it's not just your enemies because enemies are people you don't have any kind of relationship with. Some of these things can be done by people that you live with and you do have a relationship with. And so an appropriate application of what Jesus is saying is this, to anyone who doesn't deserve your love, to anyone, whether you know them or not, whether they're your enemy or your friend, we need to love those who don't deserve your love. As you guys are thinking about love projects and you're thinking about what we can do to, to help other people in this world, I want to encourage you, would you also consider loving the unlovable? whether that's part of your project or it's totally beside your project. Here's what C.S. Lewis once said. C.S. Lewis said, it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. And what he's saying is sometimes it's so easy to get behind a big cause and to throw all our money at an organization that's going to help out homeless orphans or to help serve, to, to take care of the multitude of homeless or, or to be part of the planning to put on an event for people with special needs. And it could be so easy to feel good about something I'm doing for, for a multitude of people and yet it could be a million times tougher, more difficult to love that difficult person sitting in the row in front of me right now. Or, or to show love to that, that person who's constantly hurting me and saying nasty things to you. Who annoys you and constantly takes away from you. A.K.A. your kid. A.K.A. your ex-husband. A.K.A. your current in-laws. Or maybe it's, you know, that loud neighbor upstairs that you can't stand. Or maybe it's the irrational boss at work. Maybe it's the four, that guy on the 405 this morning. Or maybe it's that guy who says you can park there, then tickets you for parking there. Who doesn't deserve your love? And yet here's what Jesus says 
I'm going to read it to you again, Luke 6, 27. Let's read it more carefully. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Now check this out. Would you underline this? Pray for those who abuse you. I want to focus on that. Pray for those who abuse you. Because later in Matthew chapter 5, 44, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says a very similar thing. He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Would you guys write this down as the loving practice, number one? Pray for them as you would pray for yourself. Pray for them as you would pray for This is a very practical way we can show tough love. Pray for them as you would pray for yourself. Now, by show of hands, how many of you guys in this room have ever prayed for yourself? Anybody? Yeah? Probably 100% of the people in here. We've prayed for, I pray for myself all the time. And, and you have to ask yourself, why do, we, why do we pray for ourselves? And I'd argue we pray for ourselves because we know, either consciously or subconsciously, that that's in my best interest. And usually, when we pray for ourselves, it's usually because there's a wrong that needs to be made right. Or there's a need that needs to be filled or a need that needs to be met. And that's why we go to God, right? If I'm sick, then I pray because I need God to make my health right. If I'm unemployed, then I go to God because I need him to provide me a job. If I'm emotionally distraught, then I go to God because I need to be filled with joy. There's something wrong in our lives that needs to be made right. And that's usually why we pray when we do pray for ourselves. I want to suggest to you guys that one of the best ways to love your neighbor as yourself is to pray for your enemy as you would pray for yourself. One of the best ways we can love them is to pray for them as you would pray for yourself. That you would do unto the unlovable and pray for the unlovable as you would want others to pray for you. And so try this. Here, here's my challenge. This is very practical. Next time you come across a very difficult person or a person that who de- doesn't deserve your love, pray this specifically. Sincerely pray, God, please redeem any wrong that's happened to them in their life. God, if there's anything wrong in their life, would you be the one to make it right? If there's anything that needs correction in them, you be the one to fill them. Any hurt, you heal them, God. Pray for them. Have you ever thought about that? I, try, I had to try this this week. I tried it twice, and it's something I never would have thought of before. But because I was studying this passage, I tried it, and it's amazing. You know why I love this practice that Jesus prescribes for us? Praying for the one who doesn't deserve it. I love it because it's not, not just because it's super spiritual and takes spirituality to the next level. But I love it because I found that it is extremely practical. Like it, it does something. When you pray for the other person, not only are you praying that it does something in the person who is unlovable to make them more lovable, but what happens is something happens inside of you to make you more loving. Just watch this. God's going to hear your prayers and he's going to go to work in this person you're praying for. But watch this, he's also going to do something in you and he's going to do something in your heart to make you more loving toward that person. 
Maybe when you're praying for this difficult person right here who, who, who you know, as you're praying, God, would you make whatever is wrong in their life right? Whatever's, whatever wrong that's been done to them, would you, would you deal with that? And as you're praying for that, sincerely, God might show you that maybe you're part of that wrong that was done to them. Maybe you have a part in the story that as you're praying for the speck in that person's eye, God's going to reveal to you the plank in your own eye. That could happen. But let's say you're praying for them sincerely and, and there's no part in the story that you have. You didn't do anything wrong to them. As you slow down to pray for them, what it causes you to do is you don't react and you don't respond in anger, but you slow down and you're sincerely praying for them and you'll find compassion and empathy starting to develop within you for this person. I experienced that this week. As I'm praying for this person who just made me so mad, I'm starting to experience this compassion. Why? Because as you're praying for them, that they're wrong or whatever happened to them would be made right. What's happening? You're realizing that they, they have a story. They probably have a story. The reason why they treated me this way probably came from somewhere. And that's going to help you understand where they're coming from. I read a, uh, an article this week by this guy named Dave Willis. And he talks about his Aunt Lori. He says, man, if you've ever seen my Aunt Lori, she used to be a heroin addict. And she was a convicted felon. And she was in these dysfunctional relationships with messed up men, man after man after man after man. He says, she's the type of woman who, when you see her on the street, you would literally cross the street to the other side to avoid her. And you would think she was a junkie, a convict, an addict. And he would say, if you would think those things about her, you'd be absolutely correct. But then he says this, but then if you understood her story, then something will, will change about the way you see her. Why? Because all of this destructive path that she's been on, he says, can be traced back to a single moment that, tra that, that changed everything. He says, I know this because this is my aunt. And I was there when it happened. He said, years ago, they were enjoying family day at the lake. It was a summer vacation, and all the family was at the lake, and they were on this boat. And Lori's daughter, Tina, was on the boat, and she was looking over the side of the boat, looking at the water as the boat was going, when she slipped and she fell into the lake. And her husband, Dean, instinctively, as a good father, any good father would do, he jumps into the lake to grab a hold of his daughter and save her. The only thing was neither of them knew how to swim. And so tragically that day, both of them drowned at the lake. And here's what Dave Willis wrote. He wrote this. He says, a few days later was the kind of funeral you pray your family never has to experience. Dean and Tina were placed in the same coffin. And when my aunt saw the body of her husband holding the body of her little girl, something inside her broke. It's the kind of pain no human heart could possibly endure. My Aunt Lori made the decision to put, when my Aunt Lori made the decision to put the needle into her arm for the first time, it wasn't so that she could feel high. It was so that she could feel numb. And because that pain just doesn't go away, that needle keeps coming to, to, to make her feel numb to it. Man, what happened to her family is tragic. Does that tragedy justify her sins? Not at all. It doesn't justify our sins. 
But knowing of that tragedy, that does do something inside of us, doesn't it? It does all of a sudden change our heart to try to understand why she, she looks the way she does and why she does the things she does. All of a sudden, I have a heart that goes out to her. When we stop and pray for people, as difficult it is to love some people, when we stop to pray for them, you're going to see God do something in them, but you're going to see God do something in you. Because when we stop and pray, it's going to remind you that maybe they have a story. Maybe they have a side to the story. And perhaps something happened to them to make them the unlovable person they are today. You guys have heard it said, hurt people hurt people. I want to say on the flip side, loved people love people. They do. And it's oftentimes the one who doesn't deserve your love is the one who needs your love the most. Right? The one who doesn't deserve your love is the one who needs your love the most. So will you do this, church? Next time you come across that person who's just so unlovable, would you pray for them as you would pray for yourself? God, make whatever happened that's wrong, make it right. And start with Jesus. If they don't have Jesus, God, would you, would you give them Jesus? Watch what it does to you. Okay, that's, that's the first unlovable person and the first practice. We go on because Jesus goes on. We pick up in verse 32. It says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Now check this out. Here's the key verse. But love your enemies and do good and lend, underline this, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Would you guys um, write this down? The unlovable person number two that we learn about today is the one who won't return your love. The one who won't return your love. Because, man, not, not only is it tough to love those who don't deserve your love, it's extremely tough to love those who won't return your love. And sometimes people won't reciprocate the love that you show to them just because that's the kind of people they are. They're just mean people. They're just selfish people. They're just apathetic people. They're, they're just inconsiderate people. And so they're not going to love you as much as you love them. And then for others, Jesus is going to show us that maybe it's because they can't. They, they don't have the means to. Right? Because we go to Luke chapter 14, another passage later on. And in verse 13, here's what he says. Same principle, different context. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and what? And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Underline that. They, you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so Jesus is saying, some won't repay you just because that's how they are. Some won't repay you just because they can't. They don't have the means or they're not in the place to. And those are the ones you need to love. Now, here, here's what we learned from, from the passage. Jesus is saying, really, how, how outrageous is it to love those who you know are just going to love you back. How, how outrageous is that? And the answer is not at all. 
He says, man, any, anybody can love if they know they're going to receive something back. Gangsters can do that. Criminals can do that. Crooks can do that. Shady businessmen, if they know they're going to receive something and there's something in it for them, yeah, here, go ahead. I'll give it to you. In fact, when, when you love knowing that you're going to get love back, that's not really love. You know what that's called? When you love knowing that you're going to get love back, that's called networking. That's saying, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Get me out of debt today and I'll get you out of debt tomorrow. And it's this idea of I'll love you if you're going to love me back. Last week I was at my life group. I'm in a Ohana family life group. And uh, the dads, we were gathered together and we were brainstorming, trying to come up with a love project. We're like, what should we do? And we came up with this great idea. One of the dads suggested, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we offer to watch the kids of another Ohana family life group? We'll, we'll bless another family life group and we'll watch their kids so that the parents can all go out for like a big old uh, adult gr- group date night. They can go watch a movie and get dinner and we'll watch their kids. And all the dads were like, that's great. That's awesome because if we do that, maybe they'll do it for us too. They'll, they'll do it in return. We're like, oh, that, that's a great idea. And then we started laughing because we realized, man, that's not really a love project, right? Because we realized that in, instead of loving like this open-handedly and say, we want to bless you, we're really loving like this. Like, hey, how can I get something out of this? How can I get something out of this? So we, we realized what we were doing and said, okay, we'll still do it and get blessed, but we'll, we'll come up with another love project that's a true love project. Jesus says to us, do unto others as you would want them to do to you. He never said do unto others because they will do good unto you. He never said that because the reality is when you do good to others, many times they won't return the favor. You'll give a gift and they'll never think to give it back. You'll own up and you'll apologize. They'll never say it back. You'll confess your wrongs, they'll never confess a thing. You'll serve them and they'll never serve you. And yet Jesus says, those are the ones we are to love. Those who will not return it back. That's tough love to live out. That's tough. Let me give you a practice. Write this down. Loving practice number two. Invest in the future by loving at the low points. Invest in the future by loving at the low points. Let me show you what I mean by that. Uh, I'm not one to really invest in stocks. I, I don't have a lot of investments. Um, but for the longest time, this is a while back, my brother-in-law kept coming up to us and saying, listen, you got to, you got to put money into this thing called cryptocurrencies. There's this thing called Bitcoin. You got to buy some right now. And we're like, this is before anybody in the general public was talking about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. We're like, dude, I, I don't even know what that is. No, that, that sounds so risky, right? So we're like, no. He keeps, he keeps counting this. You got to put it in. The price is so low. You, trust me, this is the future. Put your money into And we're like, no, no. And he kept, time went on. And finally, I'm like, okay. So we, we, we put some money into this thing called Bitcoin, mostly just to get them to shut up and be quiet and stop bothering us. Really, that's, that's what it was. So finally, we put, and we put a very little bit in. Well, if any of you guys have been in the news in the past few months, everybody's talking about Bitcoin. Why? Because in 2017, it shot up 1,800% just in that year. 1,800%. 
and one of our friends who got into it early, like he was telling everybody to, has literally made tens of millions of dollars. And so what are we doing? We're kicking ourselves, wondering why in the world we didn't get into it when the price was low. And so now that everybody's talking about these cryptocurrencies and things like Bitcoin, what's everybody trying to do now? Well, now everybody's trying to wait till it hits a low point so that they can all jump in and, and buy Bitcoin so that it will have a big payoff in the future. I'm going to show you this slide. Everybody's waiting for it to hit a low point so that later on there's going to be a payoff. Now, don't get my message wrong. I'm not encouraging you guys from the pulpit to go and invest in cryptocurrencies and go out and buy Bitcoin. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Here, here's what I'm saying. Here's my suggestion this morning. That lovers of Christ, if you follow Jesus and love Jesus, my, my encouragement is that we all get in on relational investment. That all of us invest in our future by going all in on relationships with people who are at their low points, at the lowest points. Look, look what Jesus says. Again, I'm going to read it again. Luke 14, verse 13. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. These are people who are broken and at probably their lowest points. He says, invite them and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. But listen to this. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That's Jesus' promise. See, look, it's easy to love those who are at their high points. Those are the most lovable people on earth. Those are the people who are spiritually on fire. Those are the people who are likable. Those are the people who are popular. Those are the people who are rich and prosperous. We like those people. And what Jesus is calling us to is to rush into people's pain and people's tragedy when everybody else is rushing out of their lives. He's calling us to go in when people are broken, when they're down and out and at their lowest points. It's tough to love because sometimes because they're at their lowest points, that's what's making them unlovable. Hurt people hurt people. Broken people break people. It's a tough love, and yet Jesus says, listen, love those people, and he tells us that the future payoff is of eternal proportions. He says it's going to be of eternal proportions. Why? Because I will repay you. When I was studying these passages, Luke 6 and Luke 14, I kept asking myself, why, why is Jesus telling us to intentionally look for those who can't pay us back and to love those people, to focus your love on those people? Why? And here's what I think it is. Here's my conclusion. I think it's because when we know that these people can't pay me back, then it's going to cause me to look elsewhere for my reward. When I know I'm not going to get reward this way, then it makes me put my hope in the benevolence of God who says, my promise to you is that I will reward you and I will repay you. Luke 6 and Luke 14, verse 14 He says, you're going to be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What's that reference to? That's in reference to the judgment day. The day when all of us will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody. And we will be judged for the good things and the bad things we've done on earth. And if you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ by faith, you will be welcomed into glory. But if he is judged that you have done good things, good works on earth, then he will reward you for those good things when you are welcomed into glory. 
So there's this kind of teaching here that a lot of churches don't talk about, but Jesus talks about it all the time. That there are rewards in heaven to look forward to. There are rewards. Now what are these heavenly rewards? Isn't Jesus our reward? Isn't heaven the reward? Absolutely, Jesus is our reward. He's our greatest treasure. Heaven is absolutely our reward, but there's a distinction between heavenly rewards that will be rewarded to those who are faithful. See, here's the truth. All of us who are going to make it into heaven by by grace, we get into heaven by grace. Amen? Amen? By grace, not by works. So we get into heaven by grace, but we get rewarded in heaven by our works. The Bible teaches that. Get into heaven by grace, but we get rewarded in heaven by works. And that's going to look different for every different servant. Now check this out. 1 Corinthians 3. This is not my idea. This is scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.13. It says this. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. That's judgment day. We'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Circle that word reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, meaning he's going to heaven, but only as through the fire. You see, you see that there are people, all of us, who will go to heaven and we're saved. Some will go as if you just escaped the fire. You're kind of going to heaven as is, but then some of us when our work is proven by his judgment, we will be rewarded. And so what the scripture seems to imply is that there's varying rewards for different saved believers and and the varying rewards seems to imply that there's varying degrees of joy in heaven. Now, I know that sounds really weird, but stay with me. I know, how, how is it? I mean, isn't heaven the greatest joy we can possibly experience? Absolutely. None of us will have ever experienced a joy like it. We will be the most joyful, most thrilled. It'll be the most exhilarating experience any of us has ever known. And yet, the Bible teaches that some of us is very likely to have a greater capacity to experience the joy in heaven because of your rewards. How, how does this make any sense? Now, let's be clear. There's no regrets in heaven. There's no frustration. So if Mark is, is enjoying heaven more than me, first of all, I don't think I'd, I'd even know that. So there will be no envy or frustration. I just know I'm here with Jesus, and I love that. But yet, check this out. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say Mark is a huge Boys to Men fan. He loves Boys to Men. And for the past 25 years, man, he's been following Boys to Men. He's been listening to all their, their albums, not, not only just their greatest hits, but like every song he's memorized, he's followed them. And like he just, he just loves, he's been to their concerts. And then he hears that Boys to Men are coming to the South Bay. And he's offered free tickets. Not just to the fir- first row, but also backstage to meet boys to men. You think, you think Mark's going to go? Absolutely, he's going to go crazy. He's going to go nuts because boys to men are here, okay? And then Suna, she too is a boys to men fan. Suna is a boys to men fan. It's not her favorite band, but one of her favorites. And she hasn't memorized all their songs, but she definitely knows their top hits. And she's been to con. She loves it as well. And she's offered free tickets for the first row and backstage. Do you think she's going to take it? 
absolutely she's going to take it. So Mark and Suna are both going to go to enjoy Boys to Men. It's going to be the greatest experience they've ever experienced, the greatest concert experience they've ever had. Yet between the two, who has a greater capacity to enjoy that moment? Mark. They both love Boys to Men, and it's the greatest thing they've experienced, but because Mark has been such a faithful follower, and he's been doing so much to learn every word and to do the work of, of memorizing the songs, he has a greater capacity to experience that joy. Now, this is hard to wrap our minds around, and I don't know exactly what that, that, that reward is going to look like. Like, how, how is this... Uh, making sense but but we trust we have to trust king jesus when he says that it's worth storing up your treasures in heaven when jesus says trust me if you love the unlovable i will repay you when he says great is your reward when you love the unlovable we have to trust that there's something so good about it that he would give it to us as a motivation and incentive to do the most difficult thing I heard the story of a, a king, the king of Saudi Arabia, wanted to put on a large golf tournament in his country, and he wanted to invest, invite the best players in the world. And so he invited a top professional golfer from the U.S., and he offered to fly him over on his private plane. And, of course, he accepted. He flies this American pro golfer over. They, they enjoy days of golf together. And the king actually develops this friendship as, as they play golf together. And then time comes for the trip to end, and he has to fly the American back to, to his country. And before the American golfer gets back onto the plane, the king says to him, he says, I've really appreciated our time and this new friendship that we have. He says, I want to give you a gift before you return home. He says, ask for whatever you want, and it will be yours. And, and the golfer was like, no, you have already treated me like royalty. You've already done all this for me. I can't ask for anything more. He says, no, 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 please, I want to give you a gift. And they just go back and forth, no, no, back and forth. And finally the golfer says, okay, okay, uh, you know, I'd appreciate a new golf club. That would be the greatest gift I could ask. King says, very well. Sends him back to the U.S. And as, as the golfer is on the plane, he's thinking, wow, like, the king of Saudi Arabia is going to give me a golf club. Like, what kind of club is he going to get? Is it going to be made of pure gold? It's going to be, like, handmade from Saudi Arabia? Maybe it's the most expensive club on the market, man. I, I, he, he was actually excited about it. So for days after he returned home, he's checking the mail to see if a package from Saudi Arabia came. Days go on, he's checking, and, and no package comes. Weeks later, he gets a packet just about this big certified packet from Saudi Arabia and he's looking at it he's like there's no way there's a golf club in this so he opens up the packet and when he reads it it's a certified deed to a 500 acre country club he asked the king for a golf club the king gave him a golf club <laughs> I don't know if the story is true it could be an urban legend but here's the moral of the story sometimes kings think a lot differently than you and I do. Sometimes kings tend to think in kingdom proportions. And we're so limited in our understanding of what is good. And so listen to this. When Jesus, the king of kings, 
the king of kings, says, I will have a reward for you. I will repay you. Great is your treasure in heaven. Great is your reward when you love the unlovable. Something tells me we have no idea what's in store for us. But I'll tell you this. I have an idea that it is going to be good. And it's going to be worth it. And it's worth living out the commands of Jesus to serve faithfully and to love the unlovable. Those who don't deserve our love and those who can't return our love. And so the practical application, Colossians 3.2 tells us this, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The practice prescribed by scripture is to put on a new mindset. Think eternally and not earthly. And that will help us to love the people on earth. C.S. Lewis wrote, he wrote this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. To love the unlovable on earth is to invest in our future in heaven. And it's not impure motives when Jesus says this ought to be your motivation. I want to close this message and I, I, I just want to close and leave you with Jesus today. This past week I was listening to a, a, a preacher and he just helped me see John 3.16 in a new light. John 3.16, our most famous passage as Christians. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's famous. I can say it with my eyes closed. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And yet, we live like that familiar passage that we know and memorize. We live like it's reworded. Like we, we live like it, it reads, for the world so loved God that he gave us his one and only son. That's how we live, right? It's as if God is in heaven, he's on his throne, and here we are on this little ball of dust called earth, and because of our purity and our holiness and our passion and our zeal, we cry out to God and say, God, we love you so much, we want you to be here with us. We don't want to be our own kings. We don't want to live for ourselves. We want you to lead us and to be our kings. We want to live for you, God. We need you. We're zealous and passionate for you, and, and, and if... God's in heaven and he's like, cut off, like me? You guys want me? Like you, you love, you want me to go down with you? Leave heaven to, to oh, thank you. I mean, I don't know, should I go? Should I stay? Okay, here I come. And he comes because we loved him so much. And yet that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, for God so loved the world. Don't get it twisted. Who's the world? The Bible says the world is full of people who are wicked and evil all the time. People who rebel and reject God say, we don't need you. We live as our own kings. The world is full of people who, who reject God and, and live for our own desires and gratify our own flesh. That's who the world is full of. In other words, people who don't deserve his love. And the Bible says, for God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world. 
In other words, for God so loved those who don't deserve his love. For God so loved those who can't return his love. For God so loved the unlovable. Me. You. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If there's any reason that we should go and love the unlovable, it's because he first loved us. And so, let us be the outrageous people of God who go and love those who just don't deserve it and who can't return it. And let's be Christ to the world. Let's give him Jesus. Amen? Amen. And would you guys pray with me? God, here is our heart. Here's our heart, Lord. And Lord, we just, we just ask that you would uh, hide this word in our heart. Because there are going to be moments, maybe even today, maybe right when I get into this parking lot, where there are going to be people who just don't deserve my love. And I'm going to need your Holy Spirit to retrieve this word and remind us of this truth and help us to do what is just outrageous. Help us to do something that's not natural of us, but be, can be done because you are a powerful God. God, I pray that you would be continually bringing people to mind, names to mind, so that this isn't something that just comes in one ear and out the other, but God, that we truly love outrageously. God, break our hearts, soften our hearts, because Lord, I know that we tend to be hard-hearted at times, stubborn, but let us be the greatest representatives of your son, Jesus, here in this community and to the world beyond. God, we love you. We worship you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.